Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. Even though you're listening to this on podcast and not on the air, you can still call our toll-free number, 877-929-9673, and you can still send us email to words at waywardradio.org, and you can still find us online at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. I have to confess that the first time I heard about Twitter, I was really skeptical. I mean, I was thinking, how much can you actually say in 140 characters? But it turns out that sometimes you can say a whole lot. And lately, I've been amused by a Twitter feed. It's called Very Short Story. It's written by a guy named Sean Hill from Austin, Texas. And each of his tweets is written in such a way that it evokes this much bigger story that Mm -hmm. you fill in with your own mind. For example, how about this one? I watched my brothers grow up from the woods behind our house, hoping that they would not make the same mistake of beating our father at chess. Oh, locked in the attic for beating <laughs> Papa, right? <laughs> There's a whole backstory we're not getting, and that's yeah, the idea, right? Something suggestive. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's kind of dark. And, and, well, how about this one? As a newcomer, I was devastated. The others tried to comfort me. It's okay. It happens to everyone. At least you had your clothes on when you died. <laughs> I mean, okay, so it's not William Carlos Williams and his red wheelbarrow. And they don't all work either. But it made me start thinking, who are the poets who are going to adopt this medium? Do you think this and is the new haiku? I don't know if it's the new haiku. You couldn't make that. But but I, I do think that, that it's got to prove irresistible to some poets who mm-hmm. want to kind of push push the bounds of this medium and really try to make art. I don't know. It's been kind of my little guilty pleasure lately. Well, you know, I have a new friend on Twitter. You do? I do. I work with the team at copyediting.com as well. And I was tweeting the other day about compound words. You know, a compound word is a word that's made out of, you know, like blackboard Right. Is high a compound, school. so it high could school, be yeah. right. So it's open or closed. High school it could be if it's closed, it doesn't have a space. If it's open, it has a space. And then I got a tweet back from somebody calling themselves Grammar Hulk, H U L K, as in the big green guy. <laughs> I thought that was you. No, 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 it was not me. <laughs> and Grammar Hulk, and I'm going to read it in my impression of the Hulk's voice. Grammar Hulk said, "Hulk, settle open closed compound question by smashing all words together." No more spaces. And no more spaces, of course, <laughs> has no more spaces. And the, 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 the Hulk joke is that Hulk smash. So Hulk smashing <laughs> compounds together is pretty funny. It's great. And so you go to Grammar Hulk's Twitter feed and there's a ton of this stuff. And it turns out that Grammar Hulk is a really nice guy who understands a lot about language and is just tweeting in a Hulk voice about the ordinary day-to-day issues that you and I deal with. Oh it's funny gosh. stuff. If you'd like to find out a little bit more about Grammar Hulk. Grammar Hulk did an interview with Andy Bechtel, that's B-E-C-H-T-E-L, on his blog at editorsdesk.wordpress.com. And we'll link to that on the website as well. Well, and of course, you can always follow our Twitter feed. That's Wayward. Twitter.com slash Wayward, right? Right. And we're on Facebook, too, under Wayward Radio. Or you can drop us a line to the email address, words at waywardradio.org, and we can take your phone calls all the time. That's what voicemail is for. So call us now or call us later, 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. 
Hi, this is Tony Cardinelli from Indianapolis, Indiana. Hello, Tony. Welcome Hi, to the program. Tony. Hi. My wife and I, we were listening to the program in the car and got to thinking of all the different sayings uh, that we didn't know where they came from, the origins. And uh, one of the ones we came up with was to hold a candle to someone. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So, um... What was she saying, that you don't hold a candle to her <laughs> first husband? Exactly. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, and, and so then how did the conversation go, Tony? <laughs> well, then it turned very ugly, but... So which she one ended up giraffe, walking right? home? No. Did you end up walking home? <laughs> no, no, we, we worked it out. Okay, good. So, but that's a great expression. Do you use that a lot? You don't hold a candle to so-and-so or... Anything like that? This restaurant doesn't hold a candle to the one down the street? No, I, you know, and I don't use it that much. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I'd heard it in a song, I think, recently, oh. and, uh, and it came to mind. So do you have any theories about it yourself? Uh, I had one. I think, it's, I think it's way off, though. Oh, good. Let's it. hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had heard that you know, the first act at comedy clubs, uh, he's usually not as seasoned, I suppose, as the uh, headline act. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but he, he sort of sits in the back and keeps track and makes sure everybody gets the time they need. And when their time is up, he sometimes flashes a light or I heard that he holds a candle up. So maybe like, you know, you're not even as good as the first act. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, oh really? interesting. Huh, like where'd you hear that? Did you just make um, that up out of whole cloth? <laughs> Yeah. It's kind of the opposite of flicking your bick, right? right. When, when you really like the show. And if you really hate it, what do you do? You turn out all the lights and walk out? Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, it predates, as Martha's, Martha knows, it predates the comedy club era by a long way. Way. Oh. Unless they had comedy clubs in the mid-16th century. They had brick walls. They had stools, right? They had glasses yeah. of water. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, this goes all the way back to at least the mid-16th century. Now, picture this, Tony. You're, say, a master cobbler, right? You're really okay, good yeah. at making shoes, and you're working late. And Grant is your apprentice, and so you're teaching him the ropes. You're showing him how to make really good shoes. Well, it's dark and dingy in this shop, mm-hmm. and for him to ply his trade, somebody's got to hold a candle for him. Literally hold a candle up, yeah. right? So that you can work uh, it. Hold it where you want it, right? Yeah. So, Tony, that's yeah. going to be your apprentice, your subordinate, Grant Barrett, who's holding the <laughs> candle there so that you can see what you're doing and you can show him how to do it. And, and why weren't the electric lights working? <laughs> Well, I was like that when I was helping my father as a boy fix the car or do whatever, right? It's a dark space, and he's like, point the light over here. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> right, exactly. so why don't we say can't hold the flashlight, too? We don't, <laughs> yeah, we we don't, don't say do that. We, we yeah, kept yeah. the old expression. So it means that you're good for nothing but holding up a candle. You're as, Basically, all you are is a candle stand. Well, if you... <laughs> <laughs> it's like saying you're... <laughs> I beg your pardon. Well, no, if if you can't hold a candle, you're not even as you're good not as this. Even the, the apprentice, yeah. You're not oh, even the apprentice. I That's see. exactly What's right. What's lower Tony. than an apprentice? Um, a <laughs> candle holder. Yeah, yeah. The person who just watches the candle holding. Right. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So to yeah. hold a candle means that you're not good enough even to be my apprentice. Exactly. Oh, that's wonderful. Right. Exactly. How nice you that just is. Don't yeah, I candle. think actually in that scenario though, you were the apprentice. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember correctly. Yes, <laughs> of course. Yes, uh, Martha's true feelings come out. I did a little Googling while we were talking here. I find three popular songs that have to hold a candle to in the lyrics. One by The Pretenders, one by Morrissey, and one by Dolly Parton. So I don't know which one you heard, but apparently it's fairly fairly likely that, I don't know. Do which, you listen to a lot of Morrissey? Yeah, which, Dolly Parton? <laughs> it was probably Dolly Parton, yes. Okay, okay, very good. All right. Well, hey, Tony, thanks for lighting up our life today. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Take care. What's your puzzlement? What's your problem? Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. See if we can solve it or see if you're going to stump us. Or drop us a line and email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey. Hi, who's this? Uh, this is Eve. Uh, Lindquist from San Diego. All right, Vive, what's up? Well, I work at the zoo, and I'm a tour guide there. On a tour, I try to use the most concise words possible. I like to be to be very clear. So I was talking about the elephants, and I, I talk about their chunks and how they, their chunks are an extension of the nose and the upper lip and how they use their chunks to feed themselves. And then I try to say they use their, their chunks to give themselves a drink. And I was wondering if there's a word for giving yourself a drink. Because when you're hungry, you feed an animal. But when it's thirsty, 
do you water it? But what if they don't drink water? Like, what if it's a human? So I was wondering, what's the word for to give yourself a drink? Hmm. You want one word instead of the phrase. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there is a word for that. Hmm. So, like, this is how the elephant hydrates? Yeah, basically. Like that kind of thing? Well, you do water an animal, right? I mean, that's the agricultural term for it. Right? Yeah, water. I, I looked it up. Like, water is a verb exists. I was just wondering, because also it would, I guess, apply to other things that drink, like humans, for instance. And, like, if, if someone's thirsty, do I water humans? But no, I give them a drink. I was wondering if there's a word just for to present liquids to something or well, <laughs> something like that. We, we, we fix them a drink. We make them a drink. We pour them a drink. Um, Mix them we, a drink. Well, depending on our motives, we might ply them with drinks. <laughs> so you're saying is there a difference between what you say about a human and what you say about an animal? Uh, I guess I was just wondering if there is a word to describe the act of absorbing liquids well, hmm. for oneself though, that's the that's the kind of what throws it because you imbibe a drink, right? Or you drink a drink, you swill or tipple a drink, or mm-hmm. sip, you sip, quaff, quaff, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, what did you talk about the elephants quaffing? I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the self quaffing elephant. It's a rare breed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that would fly on my tour. <laughs> probably not. You probably have a. Um, People in your tour of all ages and all nationalities and all languages, right? Yeah. But the elephant is a curious creature because the elephant can serve itself water in a way that few animals can. Yeah. And hmm. I guess I could say they use their trunks to feed themselves and to give themselves a drink, which is what I do say. But I just stumbled on that one day and I there was see. a moment of silence. And I was trying to think of a good word. And so I ended up I, saying that. Really, all, I mean, unfortunately, I don't think there's a single word for this. I think it's going to have to be a phrase. It's going to have to be give themselves a drink or take a drink or. Take a drink. Or, take a drink. Yeah, it, it's just going to have to be a phrase. I don't think there's one word for that. Procures hydration <laughs> with its proboscis. <laughs> exactly. And then it masticates food. And then it masticates. Yeah, yeah I don't think that. In front that of everyone? Would go well. Yes. <laughs> And the I tram falls good. silent. <laughs> I'm, liking this. I'm liking this. I'll try that. I'll see how that goes over with people. Yeah. Then, we'll our, then we'll have a little tea party at the end or something. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, well, thanks for, for calling taking me. My call. All, All right. right. Bye bye. Adios. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or if you'd like to talk about a word you've encountered in your work, you can always email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. A listener in Indianapolis left a message the other day in response to our show about knock on wood. Oh, yeah. She didn't leave her full name, but she said that her family name is McCarthy, and that in her family, when they say knock on wood, they knock on their own heads, which I've seen before. But their double pun is the fact that it's after Charlie McCarthy, the wooden-headed dummy of Edgar Bergen, right? The ventriloquist dummy. So I just thought that was charming and funny and thought it was worth sharing. Thanks for your call. You can call us even when you think we're not on the air and leave us a voicemail message, and maybe we'll relate your comments on the air, too. 1-877-929-9673. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Next on Away With Words, it's Yoga for Your Brain, another puzzle that will limber up your mind. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And joining us from New York City is our <laughs> quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hello, John. John! Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. How are you guys? Doing Welcome. well. Welcome. Glad to hear from you. What's happening there? Um, terrific. Well, you know, my kids are both starting school in a couple of weeks. For the first time, they're both going to be in school. So uh, okay. I'm not going to be a stay-at-home dad anymore. Oh, well, I'll still where be, are you going to go? Still be a, I'll still be a dad. Oh. And I'll still stay home, probably, oh. <laughs> playing, playing the Wii game. But uh, technically, I'll, I'll try to find some work, I guess. So. 
And, have you been uh, working for us? I have been working for you guys. I got something. You know, I've been working triple time for you guys. I have a three-for-one puzzle today. Okay, Ooh. bonus. Okay. See what you think of that. Yeah. It's called This, That, and the Other. All right? Okay. In the first little mini quiz, I'll clue phrases or titles that begin with the word this. Mm-hmm. For example, a rock mockumentary. This is Spinal Tap. <laughs> directed by Rob Reiner, starring Christopher Guest and Michael McKean and Harry Shearer. That's Very right. Good. This is Spinal Tap. Very Funny good. movie. Very good. Very, one of my favorites. The <laughs> second quiz is things that begin with the word that. And the final one is titles that begin with the other. Okay. 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 Or the other. All right. Okay. So okay. let's begin with this. All right. A popular American standard, a song by Woody Guthrie about the U.S. This land is your yeah. land. This land is your I land. I sing this Rick. with my son. I'm sure. Your, song, your son Guthrie? <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact. Oh. <laughs> There's a That's surprise. That's not what he, why he's named that, No, is no. No. Okay, here's the next one. This is a classic phrase, another classic phrase, uttered by TV news anchors upon being handed a late-breaking bulletin. This, this just, just in. This just in. And here's the last this. Uh, this is a strange phrase, sometimes found printed in the back of a book or instruction manual. Oh, I love this. This page in- intentionally <laughs> left blank. What the heck is that about? When oh. you think about it, it contradicts itself. So <laughs> this page intentionally left blank. Okay. Oh gosh. All right, let's move on to that. Okay. Okay. All right, the first that is a '60s sitcom starring Marlo Thomas. That girl. Right, that girl. An alternate title could have been. Her. So, but, but they went with that girl. That's, that's a good choice. Here's another one. The motion picture directing debut of Tom Hanks. It's a 1996 That film. Thing You Do. That uh, Thing You Do. Right. Very good, Grant. You know, he caught a yes. lot of guff for that movie, but it, was, it wasn't bad. It was not it, bad. That's the, uh, the rise to stardom of a Beatlesque band called The Wonders. Mm-hmm. That oh, Thing the You Eaters. Do. All right. Here's the next one. James Cromwell, as Farmer Hoggett, utters this curt command to his porcine sheepdog in the 1995 film Babe. Oh, I never watched that because I was afraid I would cry. Oh, uh, I, I've seen it once, but a long time ago. The, that. That'll do. Uh, that's it. Is he that says, it? That'll do, pig. Oh. That'll do. Yeah. Technically, he starts with that'll, as opposed to that. Well, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take it. it. Yeah. Let me give you one more of that. A popular 1940s song written by Arlen and Mercer. It was sung by Sammy Davis Jr. during a guest appearance on the TV show I Dream of Jeannie. Oh, wow. And it starts with that. Right. Um, that smoke gets it. No. That. <laughs> that. That old magic? That old black hey, magic? there you go. That's it. That old black magic. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Great, great that song. Old. Now, believe it or not. Here are a few things that begin with the other. Now, this okay. is a harder category, right? There are fewer of these, I bet. It could be. Well, if there are fewer, but it may not be all that hard. Okay? Okay. okay. Here's the first. Scarlett Johansson played Mary, the title character in this 2008 film about two sisters who compete for the affection of King Henry VIII. The other? The other Boleyn. One? The other <laughs> Boleyn girl. Yes. Oh, the other Boleyn girl. Okay. The other Boleyn girl. Yeah, I'll give you that okay. one. Very good. Based on the historical fiction novel by Philippa Gregory. Here's the next one. Andrew Ridgely is sometimes jokingly referred to by this moniker. Well, uh, he was with... The other Rolling Stone, the other, <laughs> the other Beetle, the other... Wham. He was in Wham. Oh, yeah. the other George Michael. Uh, the close. Other... <laughs> I don't know. How does that work? Yeah, I don't know. Um, the other guy. The other guy? Is that uh, it? I... That's it. It's just the other, the other guy? Oh. <laughs> the other guy from Wham. <laughs> the other guy from Wham. The other guy from Wham, yes. Uh, here's the last one. A scandalous phrase used to refer to a married man's mistress. She's a homewrecker. The other woman. The other woman. Very good. You guys did really well on this, that, and the other. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Well, if you have a question about this, that, and the other, or wordplay, or language, or grammar, or slang, give us a call. 1-877-929-9673. That's 877-W-A-Y-W-O-R-D, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is John Melton. Hi, John. Welcome to the program. Hey, what's going on? Well, talking to you, what's going on with you? Where are you? Uh, beautiful day. I'm uh, in Mysterious Waters, Florida. Mysterious which is... Waters? For real? Yeah. That's the name of it? 
Yeah, oh, actually, it's the name of our subdivision. We're just south of uh, Wakulla Springs along the Wakulla River, uh, which is just south of Tallahassee, about 26 miles from the state capital. Sweet. Ah, nice. what, what kind of powers do they have? Do they have life-giving you, rejuvenation? What? Oh, of course. Every, every time I jump in. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's on your mind in Florida? Well, uh, I, I was just thinking, I, I'm sort of new to the social networking thing, and I just recently got me a, a Facebook account, and I was just... Uh, sort of wondering if it's socially acceptable to purposely misspell words on these social networking sites, uh, mainly to make the words sort of look like on the page like they, like they sound when they come out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've got about 31 friends on Facebook, and most of them know about probably 500 to 800 friends. So when they see me on Facebook, they know exactly. Okay, that's that's John. We know we we know how how he spells. That, that he spells like he talks. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, as time goes by, I'm not really worried about my resume. I'm 44 years old. I don't need a resume. <laughs> I need a job. You know, it's, <laughs> but uh. So it's uh, just just an interesting question I had when I was listening to your show. Well, now you got to give us some examples, John, of how you write things differently on Facebook. All right. Well, for instance, when I say my, when I'm talking, referring to myself, it's M-A-H as, as referred to my, M-Y. Mm-hmm. And that's what it sounds like. It sounds like yeah, that's yeah. what you're saying, my. Yeah, exactly. That's just the way I talk. Mm-hmm. I've always spoke or spoken that way, and mm-hmm. I, I tend to spell that way on these social networking sites the way I talk. And it comes from a long time ago, I, you, back when email was more the social networking thing, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit slower. But I used to email an old buddy of mine who lived close to me, and I'd email him and talk to him, and he would say, man, you sound just, I, I can hear your voice when I read your email. Mm, Perfect. Yes. So I sort of got it from that. So uh-huh. when I do this, I, uh, okay, here's a sentence. I took my dog down to the river this morning for a swim. It was nice and cool, I tell you. It was I. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. If and you did, think I, meaning all right. Oh, I. <laughs> I, you know. <laughs> and did you spell it D-A-W-G? Uh, dog, D-A-W-G, yeah, I guess that's sort of a, a Georgia thing. And, uh-huh. and river. <laughs> and the river, living right close to John, it. John, i got to say, you're not alone in this. It's uh, Lots of people do this. And I, and I love that you said exactly the thing that is true, which is that when you write like this, people hear your voice because mm-hmm. you are doing a good job of representing your pronunciation in written form. If you stuck to standard spellings, you know, maybe there'd be less content there. They'd feel less of the emotion, feel less of a personal connection. Um, it wouldn't even be as literary. Uh, there's something literary about writing in a kind of modified spelling. And I don't, people aren't judging you for it, are they? No, absolutely not. I haven't seen any, any judgmental thing at all. And it reminds me, I remember uh, Louis Grizzard. I read a book of his several years ago, and I think he said something to the extent that people up north think we talk funny. But God talks like we do. <laughs> so, you know, I, I Let just, there be light. <laughs> um, it's funny. I, I find this behavior across all, all segments of society. Online, I find it among um, young people, teenagers. I find it among black folks and white folks. I find it in foreigners and locals. I find it in even the most sophisticated writing because it is a way that we can drop out of the formal registers of English and be a little more homey and comfortable and friendly. There's something of, uh, about abbreviating or dropping a G, for example. Just dropping a G off the end of a word can do amazing things for letting people know that you're just plain folks. I mean, sometimes it's calculated in the case of some politicians, and sometimes it's, it's natural, and um, it can do really great things. It improves communication, right? Oh, absolutely. I think when I'm calculating, I start adding the G's and, and the... <laughs> oh, I see. You improve your... your, your you, I mean, you go back to standard spelling when you want to impress people. Is that it? Uh, I guess so. Yeah. But as for the, the people that I communicate with on a daily basis, mm-hmm. they get get the old dog, and that's, that's what they get. With that kind of attitude toward language, you're well on your way to getting a lot of Facebook friends. John, thank you so much for calling today. You bet. Thanks. Man. All right. We'll see you online. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Tell us how you misspell words on purpose and what it means to you. Send us an email to words at waywardradio.org or give us a ringy ding dillo on the telephone, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Gina from Allen, Texas. Well, hi, Gina. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we do for you? Well, I have uh, eight-year-old twin daughters, 
and one of them, her name is Elena, started using kind of as a word for a sound in her sentences, and it just struck me by surprise, and I couldn't contain my laughter, and she just was using it all the time. Ooh, do tell. She will say, uh, my friend was walking home after school last week, and dun, 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 the door was locked when she got home. So, and, she, <laughs> and she'll say, the other day I was riding my bike, and dun, 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 I fell, and nearly broke my arm, and I think she's she's heard it as a sound in in conversation on TV or in the movies, and so she's imitating that dramatic pause that she's heard in the cartoon. Right. How interesting. Words, but without the music in there, which is interesting to me. So instead of right. going, dun, 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 she's just, right. going, she's just right. going, dun, dun, dun. Right. <laughs> huh. Well, the more I talk about it, the less she does it. Oh, so really? I've tried not to bring it to her attention anymore, <laughs> and it's coming back. She started saying it again. I could so. see how that'd be charming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, do you think it's cute, and you just stand around waiting for her to say it? I do, and I, and I, you know, tell my friends about it in front of her, which is also a big mistake. Oh, that's a big no, no. Dun dun yeah. dun. Well, at least she's still talking. Wait till she's thirteen. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's true. I've never heard of this. Have you, Grant? No, but it, I, I'm immediately fascinated by it and, oh, and yeah. charmed. It sounds really, it sounds really cute. Yeah. And did she tell you where she picked it up? Was she, is she like relating to you how she learned it? Well, I finally started asking her about it, where she had heard it. And she says, I don't know, I guess SpongeBob or something. So I don't know if it was specifically that cartoon, but I'm thinking oh. the dramatic music that plays in the background. is a How interesting. And does she have a twin, did you say? She does. And does the twin do it? No. Uh-huh. And I've never heard any of her little neighborhood friends or school friends do it either. It's just... Well, I hereby resolve to watch more SpongeBob to find out. <laughs> <laughs> only See, way. It's only funny. way. <laughs> because he, I, I've seen a couple episodes of it. He's got some terrible habits, and the scriptwriters must have like this a huge amount of fun writing that show because it's right, exactly. one of the goofiest things I have ever seen in my whole life. It's yes, incredibly it's wacky. a lot there to laugh about. Yeah. That's hey, hey, do you know the dramatic prairie dog? No. Half the audience is going, yes! Um, Google, <laughs> And the other half is going, what? <laughs> Google the dramatic prairie dog. This is a famous, very short YouTube clip that has something like a bazillion views, and that's an actual count. Um, and it's a, it's a prairie dog looking out the corner of his eyes, and this cheesy, dramatic, dun-dun-dun music right. is playing. And he looks like he's just been, he's like some great truth has just been revealed. Like the killer has walked in the room and been caught or something. It's, it's oh, really funny. funny. Yeah. So dramatic prairie dog. And maybe she's doing a version of that. I don't really know. Maybe so. Because it it's one so. of the biggest YouTube hits of all time. That's funny. So, Jeez. And Gina, if it's any comfort to you, we can give you a word for what your daughter is doing. Ah, yes, that would be great. Nice. Okay. I mean, it's not, that special, but the word <laughs> the word in the TV industry is that's a sting. A sting. Dun, dun, How does it differ from a stinger? A stinger's a, at the end? Yeah, a stinger's at the very end of, say, an episode or something. But right, like right before you go middle. to commercial, that little right. that little whirl of music that they do on the news right before they go, that's yeah. the stinger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. sting and stinger. So, very cool. You know, if you want to do some more Googling about TV stings and that kind of thing. Yeah, I teach think you some can... more. You'll... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, maybe there's a sting support group out there for moms <laughs> like you, you know. <laughs> I, I will Google that and... And the dramatic prairie dog as soon as I hang up. Gina, thank you for calling <laughs> us today and sharing stories of your family. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, best okay. of luck with the twins. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Very cool. Children are wacky and funny, and I, I just love the crazy <laughs> stuff they come up with. I am really curious to know if there are other kids who do this or supply their own sound effects that way, just sort of unselfconsciously. I don't know. It's possible. Well, we'd love to hear about it. Call us, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, Or you can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Earlier in the show, Grant, I mentioned the Twitter feed. Very short story. Mm-hmm. How about another one? In oh, please. Fewer than 140 okay. characters. 4 a.m. You are asleep again. I am awake. I am making a tape of you snoring. I will use this in court when I plead insanity. (laughs) (laughs) I could have tweeted that myself. (laughs) Is there a language-related Twitter feed that you're crazy about? 
call us 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, my name's uh, Eric Lyak. I'm calling from Plano, Texas. Hello, Eric. Welcome. Hi, Eric. How are y'all doing? Super. We're doing well. And, and yourself? Uh, you know, it's Friday. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question, and this is one of those things, those family things. My, my father has always used the word skosh, you know, growing up, and he's pretty much the only person I ever heard use it. And specifically, it's for uh, a request for a little bit. So, for instance, you say, Bob, you want a little more tea? You'd say, yeah, just a skosh. And so my question is, where does this word come from? And my father spent some time in Okinawa. Uh-huh. So, um, and there's a Japanese term, uh, sakoshi, that uh, is similar. And I wonder if there's a, a relationship between his time in Japan and the use of this word. Mm-hmm. Was he in the military? Yes, he was in Marine Corps. Uh-huh. Yes. And this was in the post-World War II period, in the 1950s? This would be in the early 60s. Okay. Yeah, it does come to English from Japanese, and I wouldn't be surprised if your father picked it up in, in Japan. Um, the word in, in Roman characters, uh, if you'd spelled it with our alphabet instead of theirs, it'd be S-U-K-O-S-H-I, and it means small or short or little or something along those lines. But usually the U is not pronounced. It's kind of a voiceless sound, so it's skoshi, like something okay. like that. And then, and then the... Um, Americans just uh, abbreviated even further to skosh. It really doesn't come into English until, the, like you were, like we were saying, until the post World War II period, the 1950s or so. Interestingly, the word also exists in a kind of pidgin spoken in Korea, and so many American soldiers picked it up during their service in South Korea oh, and not in their service in Japan. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, um, I have an uncle who served in the Korean War, so maybe. An older uncle, so uh, maybe that's where he got it from. Oh, it's possible. So he yeah. uses it too. Huh? But the but the word is so widespread in North American English now that most people don't even realize that it has that sort of history. They just assume maybe it's a a Spanish word or that it came from a Native American language. But no, it's it's Japanese. So this is a widely used word. I just thought it was a, a peculiarity of my father. Well, we would so. yeah, it's a widely used word. I wouldn't call it standard English yet. I would say that it's. Uh, still a little slangy, but I think you'll hear this, for example, on the the morning television shows. It's the kind of language that would be perfectly natural in the mouth of somebody speaking casually or talking about food or furniture or clothing or something. Okay, so like Martha Stewart would use it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> You're probably not going to hear it on the you know the floor of the Senate. Um, will the you know will the gentleman from <laughs> Wyoming please move over a skosh? Nobody's going to say that. <laughs> okay. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Super duper. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Eric. <laughs> well, did one of your parents say something that left you puzzled? Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or you can always email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Martha, I'm still chewing over the series of articles published in the L.A. Times about reading. Did you see those? Oh, I sure did. Now, where did you read them? I read them online on okay. the on my LCD screen on my computer, and that's kind of what I'm thinking about here. One of the articles talked at length about e-readers, mm-hmm. things like the iPad or the Amazon Kindle or mm-hmm. even your cell phone being used to read text, not just books, but newspaper or anything that traditionally might come on paper, right? Mm-hmm. If there was one thing that was clear from these articles in the L.A. Times, it wasn't that we're reading less. We're not. We're reading more. We Absolutely. May be, we may be reading a little less fiction or a little less of the books that the you know the publishers want us to read books that they they purport to be sophisticated and intelligent. And we have our own opinions, right? Mm-hmm. We are reading more than we used to per person. Absolutely. But it's not going to. That's not going to stop, right? So we actually need more ways to read our text in in more convenient ways. And I don't think that a several hundred dollar device is the end of that chain of logic. Oh, I think you're right. The thing that really struck me reading this story in the L.A. Times about the future of reading was 
I just feel like we're, I mean, to, compared to video games, I think we're at the Pong stage. Yes, you know? that's exactly it. Like the iPad does this page curl thing in the corner when you buy a book. It, it does this video or this screen representation of what might actually happen with a real book where the page turns over a little bit and there's the shadow and the curve and, and it looks like a bent corner. And, you know, that's websites in 1994 were doing this thing where they made it look like your office. And if you clicked on the desk, you saw your files. And if you clicked on the photo frame, the picture frame, you saw your photos. And we're long past thinking that that kind of metaphor is necessary. And yet the ebook readers seem somehow to be primitive in a way and, and not even reaching far enough, right? But maybe I'm just impatient. I expect them to stay ahead of my intentions. Yeah, I mean, I can see projecting this stuff on the inside of your eyeglasses at some point. Imagine this. You open up your wallet and you've got your credit cards in there and business cards and bits of scrap paper and receipts and stuff. But one of those is something that's about as big as a credit card and about as thick. And this is your ebook reader. Oh, oh. It's flexible. It's almost disposable. It's like the cheap camera, the digital cameras that you can dial by at the, the drugstore that they're like $9, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's something like that. It's not this incredibly expensive device. Uh, we want to get to the point where e-readers, whether you're reading newspapers or books, are so inexpensive that you don't have to talk to your spouse about the purchase. Oh, my gosh. And we're gosh. not there yet. Oh, my gosh. But we are in the middle of a revolution, and what we're looking at is Pong and Space Invaders right, right now. I mean, the other thing that this article mentioned that necessarily comes to mind is how this is going to change not the medium but the way we read and the way our brains mm -hmm. work. You know, there was, there was a former chairman of the NEA who was quoted in that article as saying, um, reading well is like playing the piano or the violin. You know, you have, it's a high-level cognitive ability and it requires practice That's and right. skill. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I do have concerns about that, but I also agree with the person in the article who said, look, the trains left the station. And there's no evidence that the new kinds of reading that we're doing are, are worse than the old kinds. That's the, the clincher here for me. Well, do you think that people will be sitting there reading War and Peace on their cell phones? I mean, I'm out astonished the, at how much I read on my cell phone Out of the last now. hundred books that I've read, probably eight, more than 80% were read on my phone. Really? Absolutely. Like fiction? Fiction, like, nonfiction, like yeah. Really Technical manuals, yeah. And it's so much easier than, than looking for the book, right? Yeah, I mean, this is exactly. a thing that you have in your pocket all the time. I should say, to close this all out, there was a, a lovely article, a funny article posted on McSweeney's, you know, the, the literary blog that's been around forever. Right. It joked that a group of engineers had tested all the e-readers and found that the newspaper was the best one on the market. And by the newspaper, they meant the real newspaper. <laughs> And it was great. <laughs> ease we'll of use. And, <laughs> ease uh, of use and, uh, and, yeah, all the good things about it. What does the future of reading mean to you? Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send your thoughts at length in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, how are you? Super, how are you doing? Who is this? This is Sandy Hughes in Fort Worth. Well, welcome to the program, Sandy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What's on your mind? Well, I had emailed uh, a question about, is anybody in Oklahoma, my grandparents, my uncle and aunt lived up there, and we used to call the uh, dragonflies uh, snake doctors. And I didn't know if it was an Oklahoma thing or a family thing or a South America thing. I didn't know what it was. But I do know that my grandmother, she passed away when I was about five or six. I found out that she was Welch and very superstitious, so I didn't know if that had anything to do with snake doctors or where it came from. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Snake Doctors is a name for dragonflies. Hmm. So it really is a real name? Oh, you betcha, Sandy. Now, let me ask you something. I wonder, how do you feel about dragonflies? Do they look oh, cute or scary? Oh, they're beautiful, and they're peaceful, and they make me think of my childhood. I love them. I love them. Ah, Very peaceful. <laughs> peaceful. That's interesting. They remind you of trips uh, to the country and that kind of thing? Yes, and what started all this, one day we were at work, and I'm on the second floor, and this huge dragonfly, the big ones kind of scare me. Uh, it hit my window, and then I said, look, that snake doctor hit the window, and the girls looked at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, the family always called them snake doctors. I, I don't know why, but that's what we called them. But 
Oh, they just make me feel good when I see them. Oh, that's really nice. Oh, man, that is so interesting, Sandy. I've been so eager for somebody to call and talk about dragonflies because they have such interesting folklore attached to them. And what fascinates me is that a lot of people think they're really creepy. Really? Oh, no, no. Yeah, and so in European folklore, well, like in Britain, they're often called the devil's darning needle. (laughs) And in Norway, they go by a name that means eye poker. This insect that pokes you in the eye because their bodies are so distinctive. You know, they're long and needle-like. And in fact, in European tradition, there are all these stories about how um, if children are bad, the dragonflies will come and sew up their mouths so that oh they can't... <laughs> That's really creepy. How creepy is that? So that they can't say any more bad words. So that needle-like image is very interesting and gave rise to a lot of different kinds of names. And the one that you mentioned, Snake Doctor, mm-hmm. is is associated with that as well because there's an old tale that... Dragonflies used to follow snakes around, and if a snake got injured, the dragonfly would get in there and sew it up. Oh, how interesting ah, is that? Interesting. That is cool. Now, where did that folklore come from? Any idea? That's a great question. Well, there are a couple ideas that I, I read about. Uh, snakes and dragonflies tend to inhabit the same kind of wet areas, and so they're mm-hmm. often seen together. Snakes also love to eat dragonflies if they can get a hold of them. Oh. So, so, the, so snakes are in pursuit of dragonflies, which puts them even closer proximity more often. And also, um, the, the shape of a dragonfly is it's got that kind of hook at the end like a darning needle. So maybe that has something to do with it. You mm-hmm. know, when they curl their tail under? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. Or a knitting needle, And we were never say. allowed to kill them. My grandparents and my uncle said, don't kill them. They're good. They're good. I said, okay. So we always grew up thinking, oh, these are good and they're pretty. You know, I never thought anything. Oh, that's sad. Some people think they're scary and creepy. Yeah. <laughs> no, they get rid of a lot of the other bug pests. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. But, but there's they, a lot of names from even oh, the United States, right, Martha? A lot, yeah. Yeah, Mosquito Hawk, Horse Doctor, the Devil's Horse. It's it's often associated with the devil. Yeah, Spindle, um, Snake Feeder, Snake Waiter. I see a bunch more. I see a whole slew of them in the snake United eyes. Kingdom as well. Yeah. Yeah, the Fleeing Ask, the Tanging Ether, and the Bullstang. <laughs> That's <laughs> wonderful names, funny. right? <laughs> All for a little dragonfly. That is super. That is yeah. neat. Isn't that crazy? And Sandy, I'm with you. I think they're beautiful. I love the iridescent different colors and, and how those little wings just support that long body. So well, snake doctors. Yeah, yeah, so you're not alone. You can tell your coworkers that you are part of a larger movement to recognize the, uh, the wisdom of this animal. Oh, that's creature. great. <laughs> and I only want another good part. I don't want another bad part. So that's cool. <laughs> okay. that's, that is me. A right. lot of information. Yeah. Well, enjoy. Thank you so much. Nice, well, thank you, and thank you for having me on the show. Well, it was our pleasure. Okay. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you got a question about something that you said that made other people raise their eyebrow and, and, and wonder what your problem was, give us a question about your problem, one 929 or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. When we took the call about what to call a woman's male lover, you know, the guy on the side, the male equivalent of a mistress. Oh, I remember that. We got a lot of responses, oh, a so zillion, a, a, most of them recommending Paramore, which right. I can't believe we didn't mention, but it's a great name for it. A little old-fashioned, but Paramore is a great name for a, a male lover on the side. But we also had a few people who responded with the word Sancho or Sancho, S-A-N-C-H-O. Mm-hmm. And I was really kind of surprised by that. Um, there were some people in Texas and California. And, um, you know, maybe it's more common in the Southwest or in states that border Mexico. I don't really know. A couple of people suggested that it does come from Sancho Panza, Don Quixote's sidekick, ah, possible. Oh, okay. I do know that Sancho is used in prison slang to refer to the man who sleeps with your wife when you're in the clink. Right? Oh, and sort what of does like, that remind oh, you of? There I know go. where you're going. Yeah, it reminds you of Jody, yeah. who is the man who, when you are in the service serving abroad, who is at home driving your car <laughs> serving and sleeping your abroad. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
<laughs> and anyway, anyway, I look, I look an email and I see that Daniel in Southern California wrote to us last year in response to a call about Jody. And uh, he said that when he served as a firefighter of a wild, that they used Sancho as well to oh, refer really? to this mythological figure who was at home, like stepping into your shoes when Ooh. you were away in the brush fighting right. fighting the wildfires, eating off your plates. Yeah. And one other thing, two people mentioned that the the sublime song Santeria does include a mention of this Sancho figure. So very good. Sancho as the male you know, lover on the side. Well, we did not know that. Did not I know did that. not know hmm. that. Call us with the other things that we did not know, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Dave. How are you? Hello, Dave. Hi, Dave. Doing well. Hi. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Where are you calling us from? I'm calling from Connecticut, and I have a question about the word pre-plan. 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 I'm a firefighter. Ah, very good. And when we sit in operational meetings, um, the chief will bring up, you know, we have a pre-plan for this incident. So I asked one day, I said, Chief, how do you pre-plan something? And he looked at me with a rather quizzical look. So I said, i got to find out about this word. (laughs) And so what should he have said instead of pre-plan? Well, I don't know if you could put the prefix pre with plan. Because isn't by nature anything you do planning? Mm, so you're saying it's redundant. I would believe so. Yeah. Pre-plan has come up before in one of the many ways in which I, you know, work with language over the years. And so in the digging I've done on this, I think I found a pattern for the use of pre-plan, which kind of makes the redundancy okay. Kind of. Okay. I notice that's a, that's a completely waffly, vague, kind of flip-floppy phrase I put in there, but there are some caveats and so forth, but I think it kind of makes it okay. And this is that when you are planning, you can plan at any time. You can plan on the spot for something you're going to do in just a moment or that you're actually currently doing, or you can plan well in advance. There's this whole chronological range of times when you can plan. But it looks like, according to the usage that I can see and that I've encountered in day-to-day life, that when people pre-plan, it's almost always well in advance of when they're actually going to use that plan. And now, I don't know if this is something that people have done because they realize that pre-planning is a little redundant, and so they've they've sought to make sure there's some difference between pre-plan and, and plan. And people do that with language. When there are two words that seem to serve the same function, people will often, in their heads, make one word mean slightly different thing than the other thing. So the question that I most often hear this is people asking about pre-boarding in the airport. And people... They're like, well, that's redundant because you're either boarding or you're not. You're not pre-boarding. You can't like really pre-board. But if you look at the way they use it in the airport, it's almost always you're 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 doing things in preparation for the actual moment of boarding. There is actually some kind of pre-action happening there. Like you are folding up the baby stroller or you are Mm -hmm. tagging the extra bags or you are rolling the person in the wheelchair up to the gate so that you can take that extra time, that extra moment to to gather them up and bring them to their seat, that sort of thing. And then folding, you know, I, I just feel like there is a little, there's a differentiation here that's happening, a subtlety. I will, however, say that I, at the base of it, avoid both words. I mean, it's the kind pre-boarding? of thing. Yeah, pre-board or pre-plan. I avoid yeah. saying both of them. Yeah. Well, that's, I kind of asked Chief, I said, isn't it by nature what we're doing, we're planning for this? Yeah. And what he said. And, say? you know, I've been in other meetings with my captains and stuff, and, you know, all right, sir, well, we're going to plan for this. And, you know, well, we have a pre-plan already drawn up. <laughs> like, well, how do you draw up a pre-plan, sir? <laughs> it's, a, it's a plan to make a plan. I the prefix and the word plan going together. You know, yeah. I, end up, I end up post-planning a lot. Like, <laughs> oh, I should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, all right, then how does one post-plan? If exactly. you pre-plan, can't you post-plan something? Well, yeah. Well, post-planning is 2020. <laughs> yeah, right, Monday morning quarterbacking. Monday yeah. morning post-planning. <laughs> yeah, but Grant, Dave can't avoid this because his boss is telling him. Yeah, well, here's the thing, Dave. The course of action that I take on this is I avoid it in my own speech and I forgive it in the speech of others. Okay. It, it's kind of harmless. Right? Right. And he's your boss. <laughs> yes. Right. And so when you take his job one day, then you'll have to put an edict out, put a big plaque on the wall. No more pre-planning. We're only planning. <laughs> I don't want his job. <laughs> I've seen his stress. I don't want his job. <laughs> well, I hope we've helped some, Dave. Take care you, of yourself. You've clarified the mud. <laughs> <laughs> Thank All you, right. sir. All right. Thank Bye-bye. you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Oh, well, my. tell us what your boss does to annoy you when he or she speaks English or writes English or abominates it. one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. And if you're listening on podcast, that phone number works all the time. Grant, I have a slang term for you. Oh, you probably please. already know it, but Bang. do you know the term hit and giggle? Mm, I don't think so. What is it? It sounds kind of naughty, doesn't it? A little bit, but, yeah. <laughs> but I learned this recently when I was um, filling in for the announcer at the Mercury Insurance Open Tennis Tournament oh, here wow. a few weeks ago. And I heard people in the trailer, the tournament officials saying, well, we're going to do the hit and giggle. And I thought, what? That sounds just <laughs> vaguely naughty. Hello. But it turns out that, that that's sort of the time during a tennis tournament where they do an exhibition match that's that's just for laughs. Oh, I see. They're not really right. Right. Or the pro-am where, where professional tennis players will play along with amateurs who have mm-hmm. paid money to do this. Mm-hmm. And I never heard that expression, but apparently it's a term of art in tennis and also golf. And mm-hmm. I guess maybe everyone knows this term but you and me because we don't get out much. But um, That's a great one. I've just made a note. I figured you would. Hit and giggle. <laughs> so what slang have you heard lately? Call us, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty pass. Our romance is growing flat. That's our show for this week. Don't forget, you can leave us a message even when we're not on the air. Call us, 877-929-9673, or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Stay in touch with us all week on Facebook. Look for us there under Wayward Radio. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also chooses our music. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell, Jennifer Powell, and James Ramsey. Away with Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward Inc., a nonprofit organization. The show is recorded at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for listening. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Sayonara. Ciao. Neither, either, neither, neither. Let's call the whole thing off. You like potato and I like potato. You like tomato and I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. But oh, if we call the whole thing off, then we must part. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. Hey there, podcast listeners. Just want to let you know that although we give you the show free and we give it free to stations, it does cost something to send these episodes out to hundreds of thousands of listeners across the planet. Help support our educational mission by going to the website and clicking the donate link. Ten bucks? A little more? How about as much as you think it's worth? Thanks in any case for helping us keep shop.